Who's glad they came to the house of the Lord today? You know, each and every week, uh, you know, believe it or not, I am just like you. Each and every week, it's like, ah, do I want to go? Oh, yeah, you're the pastor. You got to go. You got to go. Yeah. But church, let me tell you, we don't want to make these things routine, do we? We don't want to make it just another Sunday. We don't want to show up and just be like, well, we're going to hear a message. There's going to be some form of work that's applied to the message that we hear, and it just seems like every other thing. I want to be in tune with what's going on. And understand, when, when I speak, I'm not just speaking at you. I'm speaking to myself. Don't think that God is too small to reveal things not only to you but to me, right? And so oftentimes when I preach, I'm preaching things that it's, it's God working on me. And as we've been going through 1 Peter, I think I, when, when I seek God in series and direction for the church, it all has purpose. And I, it, it doesn't change the fact that sometimes when you go through God's word, you do struggle a little bit. You know, you've you, you got to seek God maybe a little bit more with one verse like, God, I need to hear this clearly. I need to understand what you're saying here, and I want to adjust my heart to understand what you're telling me. And when we're going through 1 Peter, it is a book written to the persecuted church. And Peter, what he's doing is he's addressing how they sustain their faith through difficulty. Now, I, I, I don't have any blinders on. There's no misconceptions here. We don't know what persecution is. Come on, church. We don't know what persecution is, amen? True, real persecution and what the church, the greater church around the world has faced. And we talk about the differences and we have between your suffering as a result of your beliefs and suffering because of bad decision making or maybe on a lower level just friends and family that reject your faith. Those things do happen. And we might be able to relate to that, but what we've applied is carrying the right attitude in our lives through suffering. And people have a hard time with that. They have a hard time understanding that, hey, this walk that we have as believers is supposed to be a joyful one. It's supposed to be one where we're not always down in the dumps. If this faith has truly changed us, it doesn't matter what's going on to us physically. No one is going to steal my joy and the promise that awaits me. Are you hearing me, church? Do you embrace that in Jesus' name? Some of you that are here this morning that don't feel as strong and able-bodied, do you embrace that? Do you say, I am looking forward to better days ahead, and I am holding on to those promises? Amen. You know, when facing these difficult things in life, these, these trials, I can tell you that I can be a pretty resilient guy. I try and be optimistic through everything. Do we have optimists in the room? Come on. And what I notice is my optimism kicks into high gear when I am surrounded by a bunch of pessimists. 
It seems like that I need to do whatever I can to go that, that opposite direction. I'm going to try and find a bright spot in a bad situation. I always do. Which leads me to this story. When I pastored in Waterloo, we did an annual canoe trip. There's a few people in the room that know exactly where this is going. And our trip was in, was in July, perfect time of year for canoeing, amen? You guys, you guys know what I'm setting up here? Okay. On the way up there, and I remember this like it was yesterday. On the way up, I'm driving, and Heidi reaches out to me and says, hey, those clouds up ahead don't look good. And so I tell someone in the car, I'm like, hey, look up on your weather app. Let's see what's going on here. And they look up on the weather app. They're like, rain ends at 9. I'm like, beautiful. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to be dropping in around 9. By the time we get up there and by the time we get to the edge of the riverbank, it's about 9 o'clock, but it just started sprinkling. The optimist in me said, it's just sprinkling. Let's, let's drop in, you know. And for July, it was a little unseasonably cold that day, you know. And it starts raining a little bit harder, and, you know, when it's cold outside and it's raining, that's, that's not the greatest recipe in the world. But, hey, we're dressed like it's July, you know. Like, let's bring on the sunshine. Let's go, let's go canoeing. And then about an hour in, it didn't just sprinkle. It downpoured. And it's about 70 degrees, and I don't know if you've ever been in 70-degree weather in the rain, and you are dressed in tank tops, shorts, you're ready, you're ready to have fun in the water, but there is no fun to be had. And all of a sudden, because of my, I, I, I want to say it's because of my optimism, it's because I was the leader, everyone was mad at me. And I am not kidding you. As we're going down the river, you are looking at the sides of the bank and you are watching the water pour over the sides of the bank. It was that bad. And so the water level is rising. The, the water is going faster. You're basically in a flash flood. Now here's the issue. There was nowhere for you to just pull out and find a road and get to safety. It's like the, our only option is to go to where we pull out which it was a four-hour rat or a canoe trip. And we had, a, we had a knucklehead in the group that decided he was going to have fun, and he diverged away from the group. And next thing you know, he's lost his kayak, and he's sitting in my canoe. And I'm just like, you know what, this, this is not fun. This is, this is not fun. And so everyone's kind of letting me hear it a little bit. And so I did what every good leader would do. I paddled far ahead so I wouldn't have to listen to it. And I just said, I'm tuning everything out. I've got one goal. Let's get out of this river, right? Let's get to the finish line. All was good in my attitude and my optimism until the ground lightning strikes. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Lord, I know you're listening. And although I'm not scared of death, I don't want to die today, okay? And, and I don't want to go out this way. 
There are other ways to go out that are worth it. I'm not sure this is it. And it was a struggle. And when we are in our natural realm, and we all of a sudden are awakened to the fact we need God. I need comfort. I need direction. It is fair to say that all of us can share something in common of what you go through of times that arise where I need God. I'm out of options. There is nothing else I can do. I need his protection. I need his direction. And so this morning, whatever you are going through here, maybe you've been going through some fearful things, some turbulent water. I want you to listen to this scripture. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Everyone say surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or, or prying into other people's affairs. Now, I want you to think about where that just went, okay? If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, or making trouble. Those all sound like pretty bad things, right? And some of you, and I know people within the realm of the church fall prey to this all the time or prying into other people's affairs. Here, Peter, is he's, he's putting all these things on the same level. Are you checking that out? And all of a sudden it's like, oh man, no one is safe from what Peter is saying here. So he's saying, don't get me wrong. We're not talking about that kind of suffering. That's suffering of your own making. And he goes on to say, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name, for the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Who feels some conviction there? And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your truth, your word. God, what it confirms to us as we read it. Lord, the conviction that it might create, Father. Lord, it is all in an effort to draw our hearts closer to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...
Amen, amen. You, you know what? We have talked about suffering a lot through First Peter, and I want us to focus on the greater aspects of joining Christ in suffering. Because here, Peter says something that struck me big time is that we are partners with Christ. Now, in the realm of God and this spiritual universe that we're in, when we picture God, often we picture God hovering well above us, oftentimes overseeing what we do, and in the presence of God, we can feel very small. But here, Peter says, you are partners, and I want us to understand what a partnership looks like. And so what I did was I looked up synonyms of this word, partnership, and it says things like cooperation, association, collaboration, union, relationship, fellowship, connection, affiliation. And what partnership really creates, it is a source of being identified with someone else. So whether it's a partnership in a marriage where my wife bears my name or you're in a partnership business with someone and maybe you think of a law firm and where if you see a partnership at a law firm, what do you typically see? It bears both names, doesn't it? They associate with each other. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. NKJV says that we are called into fellowship. Here the NLT says he has invited you into partnership. And both of those things would tell us that this isn't something where God is just overseeing what you're doing. He's not just observing you from afar. He's walking with you. So the Father God, what he's done is he's made this way to work alongside you for his specific purpose through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Peter goes on to say that we are partners with him in suffering. Now, I'm going to be honest for just a second. If, if suffering is the only subject that we focused on as believers, it's a little hard to have joy, amen? It can be pretty discouraging. And so what we have to do is we have to look well beyond it and focus on the bigger picture of what God is doing. So listen to how Paul does that in Romans 6, 5. He says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So Jesus' suffering death in retrospect was a necessary piece of the puzzle to this partnership. And so I want to remind you that in Christ... There isn't death, there is life, okay? Now, we can think about physical death, but ultimately what we need to focus on is spiritual life versus spiritual death. And so without Christ, you're only promised death. So maintaining this perspective throughout this life, that is what our challenge is. So we're invited to identify with Christ in his suffering. And when you hear about the promises of God, 
and the hope that you can receive as a follower of Christ. The big hurdle that you are going to face is this worldly mindset that makes us think, well, what are the worldly benefits of following Jesus? Because for us, those are the things that seem appealing. We want, we want a comfortable life, or we want to see our lives blessed and enriched from that worldly perspective. And that same worldly mindset, what happens is it brings this pressure, this outside pressure of other people's opinions, living according to their lifestyles and thinking that there's something that we must attain on this earth. And let me tell you what happens. When you bring in that worldly mindset, it also opens the door to bring in shame if things don't seem to be going right. And in turn, then people become ashamed of being considered a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, whether or not you are a follower of Christ, or if it's because there are other Christians in your life that haven't suffered like you have suffered, that can also bring about shame. Now, I just want to be clear. There is nothing to be ashamed of, of entering into a partnership with God. That's where we start, amen? So that's where we start. Because God sent the Son to suffer and die for you, okay? And furthermore, that if we're going to walk in this life with him, Jesus warns us what happens if we are ashamed of him. Listen to Luke 9, 26. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So what Jesus is basically insinuating in all this is when we allow shame to be a part of our faith, it is because of a worldly mindset we are allowing in where we shouldn't really care what other people's opinions are of us. Are we living in line and according to the word of God? Now, the optimist in me would say embrace the necessary parts of suffering that will lead to the reward of eternity. But let's be real for a second. Raise your hand. Who says, oh, I want to suffer? I'm ready to be a part of that suffering. No one says sign me up for that. But if we consider what Jesus has done for us, the way that he has made for you and I, what he offers, I'm bonded to him for life. And I don't want anything to break that bond. And so it really doesn't matter what people say. It really doesn't matter what happens to me as a result of my faith. Not my enemies or Satan can keep me from being with him. You hear me, church? So if, if there is nothing that can come between you and God, then we should be able to walk in joy. This is why God created me. This is why God sent his son for me, so that I can have everlasting life. And there is nothing that can get in the way of that. 
We've referenced this several times, but uh, it's significant when we look at the apostle Stephen. And as he was being martyred for his faith, it says in Acts 7, 54 through 57, it says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. He basically said, you put Jesus to death. And they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here's something cool about Stephen. In his suffering, he saw the reward of heaven. I want you to think about that. But there was a key acknowledgement of what was taking place in Stephen's life. It says in verse 55, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that when, when you are living and breathing, seeking God on a daily basis, when that has become a regular part of your life and you have sought the Holy Spirit and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are walking in purpose and following out after God, that God makes sure that through the most difficult parts of your life, through the greatest parts of your life, you are not alone. And God has promised a close relationship with you. And there are some of you that feel awful lonely here today. I want you to hear this. Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man who has a friend must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. No one will walk with you through everything like God will. No one. And so now we have the benefit of Jesus. There is his death and resurrection, and it has unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit that he connects with every believer. Listen to this, what Jesus says in John 14, 15 through 18. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That is the Holy Spirit, church. The spirit of truth with whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you hear that promise? So not only will the Holy Spirit help you, it says he will abide with you. That's going back to that partnership. Do you see that? Hebrews 13.5. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you, but it's with great purpose this morning. Hebrews 13.5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there is scripture after scripture of the Lord being with you in your time of despair. I want you to think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children who all of a sudden, they are living out their faith. They're saying, we are not going to bow down to other gods. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, what he did was he had them thrown into the fiery furnace. And next thing you know, there is 
the image of the Son of God standing with them, and they leave that furnace unharmed. As sad and pathetic as Jonah was in wanting to resist carrying out the message of God, he did. And while he was sitting there in his agony because he carried out a hopeful message to people that he didn't like, he sat back and waited to see God's destruction on them, but they obeyed the word of the Lord. And so Jonah, all depressed, all upset, still had God sitting there with him. So much so that God allowed a plant to grow up and give him shade while he sat there awaiting for destruction that was never going to happen. God was with him. Daniel in the lion's den. I could only imagine in our humanness the fear that would occur to be put in a pit of hungry lions, right? But God was with him. Stephen, as we just referenced, the Apostle Paul, in all the times that he mentioned suffering for the Lord's namesake, these stories tell of not being alone in our most challenging times. I say all that to say this, church, he will walk with you, but you have to make walking with him the priority. Are you hearing me? You have to make that the priority. And then what what will happen is we will have a life that walks with the Holy Spirit through the good or the bad. Whatever is going on in our life, we are walking with God. Because I believe that one of the challenges for the American believer is that we are so hot or cold with our relationship with God, but yet we expect his presence and impact through difficult times. We expect it like a faucet where we can turn on and off when we want it. That's not the relationship God is seeking. That's not what he wants from us. To get to true suffering, the kind of suffering that we're talking about, we are talking about things that come with daily living for God. And I think if we're just going to continue to turn our relationship with God on and off like that faucet, we're never going to discover the kind of suffering that the New Testament is talking about. Because we won't allow ourselves to. Are you hearing me? That kind of suffering comes from living daily for God. You know, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me daily. And it also refers to the cross as a cross of suffering. And so it points to a life that is walking in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. Where it creates a dependency where you need his presence in your life daily. And so there's this invitation And there needs to be a desire on our part to have God in our lives daily. Because we can turn it on and turn it off when we feel like it. Well, we can turn it off. But turning it on is the harder part. Because it needs to be genuine. Church, you can't have your relationship with God be one out of convenience. You can't do that. 
It's all or nothing. Because so many of us, we, we want our worldly life and we want those things not to change. We want those things to stay the same. And then we want to have our separate church life. And I am telling you, there needs to be this daily desire that when you wake up in the morning, you seek the Holy Spirit, pour out your presence on me. Give me all that you have today, Father. I want to be of and about your will. Fill me with your gifts and give me direction for my life. Because if you want God to be there with you through the difficulty, make him a part of your life when things are good. Then what you're going to start to see is all good things are the result of your walk with him. Because let me tell you what occurs if we don't make that our daily purpose. We take credit for all the good. I don't want to take credit for the good. I want to give God the glory for each and every part of my life. That's important, church. So no matter if it is suffering or blessing, you begin to look at serving God as a privilege no matter what occurs. And so I'm going to say something that seems so counterculture today. Embrace your privilege in Christ. Embrace it. Let it be a part of who you are because the word of God says as we look back at our main text today, you are called by his name. You are called by his name. 1 Peter 4.15, it says, praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and I think every believer should put it a, a, a part of their heart and who they are, is Romans chapter 8. I picked out some verses out of Romans chapter 8, and I want you to listen to this because this is affirming who you are. Paul says in verse 16 and 17, he says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of, the, of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? For God is for us. Who can ever be against us? And then in verse 35 through 37 it says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or we are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Listen to this. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I've covered a lot of scripture, but here's the key in all this. Do not be so focused on temporary suffering that you're not clinging to that eternal victory. That's so important. 
that maintains our attitude. And it shows us where our faith truly lies. You need to embrace eternity. Think about God's calling in your life for just a moment. And his ultimate calling is that you are not called to live and die in your temporary body. That is not his calling on your life. You have been called a child of God and you have a promised home in eternity. Do you embrace that? Do you say yes, Lord, to that? So all of a sudden, you can be awakened to the truth that you have the privilege and peace in knowing the outcome already. I know what lies ahead. And that is why I'm joyful. So all of a sudden, this temporary suffering that we tend to focus a little too much on can become an opportunity to appreciate eternity and what God has provided for you even more. So don't get weighted down by focusing on things that are temporary, church. That's not worth it. Those things will spiritually weigh you down. Focus on the things that you know remain, no matter what. They don't tarnish, they don't decay, it can't be taken away. Listen to 1 Peter 4.19. This is where we ended in our main text. This is the last verse. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Church, no matter what you are going through, no matter what comes against you, just keep doing right. And trust that God is there with you through each and every step. What I want right now is I want our prayer altar team, our board members to come forward. There are some of you that are going through some difficult things. And I am not going to pretend that it is easy to maintain the right attitude. I need the strength of God to get me through. You guys know what I'm saying? I need him. I, I, I need him for his correction. I need him to continue pouring out his promises and his goodness in my life. And what I want you to do is I want you to seek God and seek encouragement from others in times of difficulty. And that is why these people are up here right now is because they are saying, I am going to stand with you. I'm not here to ridicule. I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to edify. And guess what? We all need it. There's not a single one of us that's like, no, I'm good enough on my own. Uh-uh. When you're going through difficulty, be the first to say, man, pray for me. Help me. Help me stand. Encourage me. What I'm going to do, 
Kelton's going to sing here in a moment. I'm encouraging you to stand. But if that is you and the Spirit of God is working, say, man, you need someone to come alongside you and just tell you, it's okay. God's got this. He's got greater things ahead. Keep your eyes on him. I'm encouraging you that if the Holy Spirit is speaking those things to you, step out. Find someone to pray with. Let's stand right now. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then Kelton's going to sing, Father God, I'm praying for each and every person that is in this room that says, Lord, I, I'm struggling here. And God, in these struggles, I need to find you. And Lord, I pray that today, You will reveal your love. You will reveal your power. You will continue to speak out your promises, Father, that never fail. And that, God, we will embrace the promises that you have laid out. We have embraced the truth that you are faithful to the end, God. That you are walking with us all the time. And that, God, we can leave here encouraged that no matter what we go through, God, you have the victory in the end. And we embrace that truth in Jesus' name. We proclaim that over our lives in Jesus' name. And Lord, we will be committed to not allowing our flesh to walk in discouragement, to walk in self-pity, Father. But Lord, we will put our focus on you, the God of the universe, The one who has established eternal promises, Father. That, Lord, we will not be committed to the temporary things, but the things that last. The things that remain, no matter what the enemy tries to take from us. God, if there are hearts that need encouraged and lifted up right now, may they with boldness step out and find someone who will agree with them in prayer that, God, you are greater than any problem that I have. May we give it to you, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name.